Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. It's Wild Wild Pest, the deep dive podcast about the South's most notorious outlaws. Palmetto Pete and his posse were the nastiest cockroaches you could ever fear to meet. Nope. Trespassing, loitering, scaring innocent folk when they turned on the light. No thanks. And that's not to mention all the diseases the germ-ridden no-good nicks were known to spread. Oh, no. Oh, yes. But fear not. Terminix was on the case with all the skills, experience, and tools needed to outdraw the outlaws. Learn more at TrustTerminix.com. Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths they are linked to. Uh, Richard Ellen Murdoch, if that is your name, please raise your right hand. Do you waive reading of the indictments? Yes, sir. What say you, Richard Ellen Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand indicted? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. Thank you. There you have it. That's what happened at Alec Murdoch's hearing on July 20th. And we're going to discuss that in detail. I am Matt Harris, Seton Tucker on location. She was at the bond hearing. We are always grateful, my friend, that you have decided to spend time with us. You can reach out to us, thoughts, comments, ideas, MurdochPodcast.com, Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, and Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. So you uh, went back to your old stomping grounds in the low country or on vacation, and you took time out of your vacation, your family vacation, which is really dedicated to go to Alec Murdoch's bond hearing today. And let's set the stage. You, what time did you get there? Actually, they opened the courtroom at 8 a.m. We arrived, I think, about 8.15, and uh, it was mostly media there. I did not see any family members, uh, very little people from the community as well, but uh, lots of media. Now, let me ask you something. You uh, told me last night that you had made a call and you were able to get great seats. You were sitting in one of the jury boxes, correct? Yes, so I called the Colleton County Clerk of Court yesterday and told her who I was, and she was actually in a meeting, and she did call me back. She was a very gracious woman and said that they do have some reserved seating for media, and uh, which was the ground jury box. So I was able to sit right there, pretty much row, and I was probably two feet away from Alec when he walked into the courtroom and you know got to see some conversations that were being had between the defense and plaintiff's attorneys before the hearing. You could witness them chatting. It was uh, great because your smiling face was on the live feed almost the entire time. Uh, I I didn't want to tell you at the time because I thought you'd be very worried about that, (laughs) but you were right there. I did have a lot of people uh, reaching out saying they were seeing me on the news and court TV was uh, doing a live stream. So people did say that and it did make me uncomfortable. And you went with an attorney. Yes. My dad took time <laughs> away from 
vacation and he actually traveled with me. That's great. That's great. To hearing. What a what a bonding vacation going to a, a double murder bond hearing. Give me your impression of Alec Murdoch when you first saw him. Well, when when I was waiting for the hearing to begin, it didn't begin till 10 and we again got there about 8:20. I had seen some media pictures that were posted of Alec entering the uh, jailhouse and he was wearing a blue jumpsuit. But when he came out, he was wearing khaki pants and a uh, white button-down shirt. He looked a lot thinner. He looks like he's he's aged some over the last year. He is very much thinner than he was. His hair was very short, almost shaven. Um, it, it just his appearance was drastically different than the pictures that you see in media. Absolutely, that's exactly what I thought. He was very gaunt, and I'm, part of that look of being thin was probably the fact that he's maybe had been wearing his old clothes because his his pants looked pretty cinched, and the hair, the big, the famous red hair, is it was uh, cut off. You know, not that anybody's feeling sorry for the fact that he lost weight, but I just want to set the scene for that. And as as he's coming in, was there any kind of noticeable reaction? I mean, it was mostly media, so they are, you know, hardcore to these kind of things. But was there any kind of reaction when he came in? No, there was no real reaction. I mean, a lot of people were taking pictures, and there was also no reaction from him. He kept a very stony face the entire time. Now, he had a mask on when he first got there, but then at some point when he was seated at the the desk with Harpootlian and Griffin, he did take it off. So... He, uh, as we heard at the beginning, pleaded not guilty. We're going to break this down for you even more. Before we get to some clips from the hearing, though, Seton, you also said it was weird because you saw uh, like a painting or a picture of Alex's relative? Yes, there was a portrait of Buster Murdoch Sr. displayed in the courtroom. I actually took a picture and we'll post it on our Facebook page. And that just how far someone has fallen from grace just kind of really struck me that we are he's being arraigned in a courtroom that has pictures of his family members his grandfather yeah that's crazy and also the place where you were brought it full circle for us yeah this is actually where we filmed part of the oxygen special we were sitting in this very courtroom doing our interviews with Tori robert in fact we were sitting at the table where Alec Murdoch and Griffin and Arputlian were today. So, as you said, this year, a year later, not even, it's a it's a real circle. We were talking about him. Did he do it? Did he not do it? And all those things at the table that he's seat, seated at, and now he's uh, facing these murder charges. Really surreal. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, get started on the the charges. This is the actual. Charges being read in the court. State versus Richard Ellick Murdoch. Uh, he has been uh, indicted by the Colleton County Grand Jury on July 14th, 2022, for four charges. Uh, those charges are 2022 GS 15 592. That charges for the murder of Maggie Murdoch. 2022 GS 15 593. That is for the murder of Paul Murdoch. 2022 GS 15 594, that is possession of a firearm during commission of a violent crime for the murder of Maggie Murdoch with a rifle. 
2022 GS 15595, that is possession of a firearm during commission of a violent crime for the murder of Paul Murdoch with a shotgun. So what was really interesting to me about this was I was talking to a reporter and she was telling me it's not usual to read charges in this manner. She's attended a lot of bond hearings and that this is how Dick Harputlian has requested it to be done, but this is not typical. Um, John Snyder, our legal analyst, and he's a former district attorney and a former defense attorney. John, uh, can you expound on, on that, that it's not usually done that way? So I, I think because of the extraordinary the case leading up to what are the, the gravest and most serious charges, I think a, a lot of this is, is departing from standards and in this case you have Harputlian and the prosecution agreeing to a gag order right off the bat these yeah what what you're seeing right now is uh, each side of the criminal process doing their best work and so any deviation is going to be scrutinized analyzed talked about by us and many thousands of others and so they want to make sure they do this the right way and in a way that gives no one any room to complain or say that they didn't get a fair process. I want to point out that, that uh, the voice you heard was Assistant Attorney General Creighton Waters, the Attorney General Alan Wilson is on vacation. Okay, so I kind of wanted to backtrack because we've actually gotten a lot of questions on our Facebook page before the hearing started. Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffith were talking to the attorney general's office and they were kind of, you know, chatting. And a lot of people were like, why are they talking? Why are, is this kind of normal for attorneys to do this? Because this is actually the first bond hearing I've ever attended. There's supposed to be collegiality among members of the bar and members of, you know, parties in a lawsuit. You are not supposed to be screaming at each other the whole time. You're not like it's counterintuitive. Now, that doesn't mean either side is not going to be doing their best to achieve what they are supposed to for their client. But it is a level of professionalism that that is a is part of the calling of being an advocate and being involved in criminal litigation. I would have to assume that uh, Dick Carputlian and uh, Creighton Waters have worked together and against each other and have known each other for a while. You have to imagine that Dick Carputlian knows the assistant attorney general, right, John? Again, smaller state, but even in bigger states, you after a while, you just kind of run into the same people if you're doing the same kind of litigation all the time. So Harputlian certainly is no stranger to the South Carolina attorney general's office. And it's, again, this is high, high stress stuff that we're dealing with. Somebody's daughter and mother has been murdered. Somebody's son and brother and, and nephew has been murdered. And so there's a lot of stress that goes in with that. And so being mean beforehand doesn't really help with the stress that, that, that is a part of these cases. I want to point out one thing, and that is, uh, you may not know listening, is Dick Carputlian is also a state senator. So, you know, he's walking around the Columbia Capitol, and I'm sure he's running into Creighton Waters and that sort of thing. Yeah, so one thing 
it did appear, because they mentioned this later on in the bond hearing, that they were kind of discussing their objections and the things that they were going to be bringing up in this bond hearing and deciding on whether they agreed or disagreed on those things. So before you give your answer, John Snyder, uh, I want to play a clip from the hearing from Dick Harputlian, uh, Alex's attorney. Um, Your Honor, we're consenting to uh, no bond. He's, as you know, already has a $7 million bond he can't make. Um, and um, the further discussion of the alleged facts in this case in an open courtroom, we think, continues to uh, run the risk of polluting the jury pool, which in, in a moment I think we can talk about a speedy trial in this matter, which will occur in this courtroom. So we don't believe there's any reason to go any factual background. He's agreeing to no bond. Um, and so we can move into the more um, procedural uh, motions that we have. And I think we actually uh, worked out um, an agreement on all the motions. So if we could do that, Your Honor. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. So to your point, Seton, they have agreed on things. So, John, your thoughts? Well, let's let's start with the fact they've agreed to no bond, which means there is no bond hearing, which means there is no recitation of fact or evidence presented related to what what bond would be appropriate. And so uh, this is Harputlian kind of keeping more facts from getting out about the case. Uh, this is the state realizing that the, the less that gets out pre-trial, the better for any post-conviction appeals or uh, allegations of, of unfair trial conducting. So what what you're seeing is unusual in both the defendant has agreed to not have a bond be he's he's foregoing his right to a bond in this in the double murder case. The other motions are all kind of standard pretrial motions pre in criminal law and it sounds like Harputlian and the assistant attorney general have worked together to yeah, kind of go through the checklist of motions and reach consent agreements on all of those. And that that's not abnormal, in fact. What would a normal bond hearing play out like if the guy didn't waive his bond hearing? Would the, would the, uh, the state say this is what happened and how it happened? Yes, it would be very similar to the financial crime uh, cases where we learned all sorts of salacious details about the the uh, financial transactions that led to the indictments that, that led to a $7 million bond being set. And so if you think about all the coverage that, that we gave and others gave to what came out during those hearings, imagine now it's in a double homicide that involved your wife and your youngest son. So there was a lot of talk about gag orders and keeping stuff sealed and not trying, trying it in the media. So let's hear what the attorneys have to say about this. 
Well, Your Honor, you know, there's a few motions I know that, that Mr. Harpootlian and I have discussed. Uh, one of the first uh, motions uh, that has been discussed is a gag order. Uh, the state has no objection to a gag order. Uh, Mr. Harpootlian uh, discussed it with me, and uh, we, we do agree that that would be appropriate in this matter, given the amount of media attention. Uh, this case, as I've been saying all along at various bond hearings along the way, uh, needs to be tried in the courtroom, and uh, so the state has no objection to that. Yeah, thoughts on that, John? Yes. The gag order makes sense due to the international coverage that this case is getting. It also is consistent with a prosecutor wanting to make sure that the defense counsel isn't out there creating their own jury bias through comments they're making while the prosecutor is bound by the rules of professional conduct over what they're allowed to say pre-trial. So this is actually a, in my, my, my heart leaning towards the prosecutor, this is a good thing in a case that's this high profile. Next clip is from Dick Harputlian calling out the leaks. Secondly, we propose that um, all motions in this matter, either filed by the state or by us, be sealed um, and subject to a motion by either party to unseal it. Um, but that rather, again, I mean, we're, we're put in position of filing a motion on discovery to discuss what we've been given and what we haven't been given. And again, this is going to force us to disclose matters to the general public um, um, that we don't really want to discuss in public because we're trying to get a fair trial uh, for our client, not try it uh, in the media, but try it in this courtroom. And I believe uh, Mr. Waters agrees with that. John, when they say sealed, that means that it, it won't be public record, obviously, right? It, that is what it means. And, and so this is highly unusual. And as soon as this order gets entered, my guess is that national media outlets will be filing uh, motions to, to have it set aside. That was going to be my next question. I mean, the media is going to really fight this because that means that we are not going to get any information until it actually goes to trial. Well, in, in, in any other case, when somebody files a motion, it is public record. And so this consent order, if signed by the judge, would then mean that it gets immediately unpublished to the public. And then if the public wants it, they have to file a motion to see what it is. And, and that is not consistent with standard criminal process. And I don't, yeah, I, I don't like that because it's, it undermines general proceedings. It undermines the public's right to know. And it undermines what is every other defendant that's ever been charged with a crime in South Carolina has had to deal with. So this particular defendant shouldn't get anything different than what everybody else gets. So the judge did seem to question that a little bit and Carpentland kind of backtracked and then said something like, well, we should get advance notice if there's going to be evidence in something. So again, is this normal? This is, you know, it's 
or they, they have to get a preview of if they're filing something with the court, the attorney's general office would need to give that to Harputland before so they could make objections. Or vice versa. And and, and also, John, they said uh, they'll have 48, uh, 48 business hours to decide if the motion should be sealed. Look, that's, that's, look at me. I'm special. I'm special. I'm special. Give us special treatment. I don't think any other defendant if South Carolina has been given that chance, and I don't know that this one should be given that either. I understand their concern. I understand that they're doing their job, but this guy is accused of double homicide, and he deserves to be treated like anybody else in South Carolina that's been charged with double homicide. It, it, he is nothing special, and... They shouldn't be in the courtroom asking for extra special treatment because it's just because it's them. You know, it's it's too bad that this is a famous case, but what this guy did was famously bad, according to these indictments. Well, so let's get back to these leaks. I mean, Harpootland is wanting to shut these down with all effort. So let's listen to what he has to say about it. I want to make it clear, there's no indication whatsoever that Mr. Waters has in any way made any extrajudicial statements prior to today. But anyone that reads this constant churning out there, it would appear somebody is. It's not him, as far as I know, none of his agents. But we want, if, if that's violated, we'd like to be able to come before the court and have the court inquire how this material fact got out um, to see if sanctions are necessary. So to be a gag order as to any extrajudicial statements. So Harpootland wants to stop leaks, but he also wants sanctions if more leaks come forward. Have you ever heard of that kind of thing, John, before? And have you seen anybody prosecuted or had sanctions against them for leaks? No, I mean, coming from a guy that's famous for talking to the media, it's funny <laughs> that he's that way now. But look, I understand his desire. I understand that... <laughs> You know, the the mountain of evidence that the state has may seem rather tall climb for him, even as gifted a defense lawyer as he is. Uh, but a lot of this is just bluster in in a courtroom setting, asking people to do the job that they've already sworn to do, and that a court will take very seriously if they violate their sworn duty. So the next thing we want to go to uh, in the last clip is Dick Harpootlian asking for the speedy trial. Here's that conversation. Um, and that is, we, make, we filed uh, a motion for speedy trial. Um, we note that there are two terms here, one in um, October and one in November. Um, and we'd like to go ahead and get this matter before the College County jury as quickly as possible. Uh, Mr. Murdoch does this for a number of reasons. One, as you've heard, he believes he's innocent. He averts he's innocent. And two, he believes that the killer or killers are still at large, and this would allow Swed to put this behind him and go look for the real killers. So Harpootlian believes that the killers or the killers are still at large, and he's requesting this really speedy trial. So, John, tell us what you think about this. Uh, I think a speedy trial on this matter is great. I think the law enforcement in this case has done an excellent job. And so my guess is that they have everything 
locked and loaded before they even thought about bringing the indictments. And so when they pulled the trigger on these murder cases, they were ready to go to trial. And so I don't think a speedy trial is a bad thing at all for the state because they were so careful and precise in gathering evidence on the front end of the indictments. Can I say how OJ-like that was, the hunt for the real killer thing? This was uh, Dick Harputlian putting that out. This was this was his showmanship. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is reasonable doubt in the making. This is, this is defense lawyer 101 where you say, if, if you think the real killer is going to walk in this courtroom in a second and any of the jurors' heads turn towards the, the doorway of the courtroom, then, then you know that's reasonable doubt. I mean... That all that that's him doing his job, but it is a grand diversion from the fact that uh, law enforcement methodically gathered evidence and brought murder indictments against a former prosecutor and maybe the most famous lawyer in the world right now. And so funny, we actually talked about my dad and I talked about the OJ uh, trial on the way home. We just kept talking about it. We're like, it it seemed to be kind of that moment. Now, I will say that Harputlian was saying, we want this to be in 98 to 120 days. They talked about Judge Mullen, who has recused herself. I guess she has a term coming up. He did also mention that there was no other request in Colleton County requesting a speedy trial. So he didn't see why not. The judge said he has to look at the docket and see what's coming up because there's you know other trials on the docket. Um, so he wasn't, you know, he wanted to review that before he made any sort of decision on that way. But I want to, I want to get back to the evidence. So the prosecution seemed, you know, pretty confident in their in their evidence of what they said. I'm wondering if this is more circumstantial and if this is going to kind of be an OJ thing. Is this going to be a battle of the experts? Well, there's only, yeah, there's only one eyewitness left to the murder. And he's the one accused of it. The two other people that were there at the time both watched in horror as their husband or their father turned a gun on them and, and ended their lives. And so they, they won't be available to testify. He, he has the luxury of being there. And I think Harpootlian thinks if he puts this in high gear, maybe the state will overlook something or miss something or he can... He can say they didn't do enough, but I firmly believe that the state knows how important a case this is for them to win, and they're prepared to move forward and will do an excellent job uh, going forward. Now, I want to point out that the assistant district attorney says he doesn't want to pick a date yet. He wants to get into this for a few weeks and decide. He thinks, I think he said January would be aggressive. Where Putin won in October, but Mullen recused himself. Then it was in November, but the DA appears to want to go January. How does it work as far as when the date is picked? The, the DA, uh, the DA will get to kind of pick what date he wants. And again, this is so the narrative will go from oh they were slow to slow to charge my client, and and they really don't have the evidence, which is why they're delaying the trial and. And, and what it really is, is you have to get witnesses subpoenaed. You have to get everybody lined up. You have other cases that are being prosecuted. And 
you have uh, all these things that you have to do to be ready to go, and he might need a little bit more time than one or two months. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us again. You are a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. Everyone really appreciates all the insight you provide. Thanks, John. Well, thank you. And if, if people want to look at kind of the next thing that we can all wonder about, the, the death penalty statute in South Carolina is really clear, and a little Google search can tell you a lot, of, a lot about how, how the death penalty gets implemented in South Carolina. I did forget to ask you that. When do they decide to use the death penalty? If they decide to go that route, at the latest it'll be when the trial starts, but I think that'll be announced before then. But the fact that two people died at one time is one of the aggravating factors that you have to have to, to bring the death penalty in South Carolina. We'll dig deep into that in our, our next uh, episode. Thanks, John. Thank you, guys. Here's something kind of interesting. On July 14th, Google Analytics, people Googled Alec Murdoch over 100,000 times. He was number 10 searched name on that date. Just, uh, interesting. So we have a lot to talk about, about leaks and things that were written in People Magazine and The Post and et cetera. Uh, and you want to hit that next time, Seton? Yes, Daily Mail. We have a lot to talk about in our next episode, but I am going to try to get back to vacation. Yes, that's why she's on the phone, because she's on vacation and working hard on a vacation. And uh, we appreciate it, Seton. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll uh, have her in studio next week. We are grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. MurdochPodcast.com. MurdochPodcast on Facebook. Matt Harris podcast at gmail.com. We'll talk soon. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery 
and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.